Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was March 28, 1949. British astronomer and mathematician Fred Hoyle appeared on BBC Radio's third program to discuss his continuous creation theory. It was on this broadcast that Hoyle used the term Big Bang to refer to the point when the universe began. But he didn't believe that the universe began. In the 1940s, Hoyle reformulated the steady-state theory, along with astronomer Thomas Gold and mathematician Herman Bondi. The theory said that the universe is uniform through time and space. So the universe is expanding, but always looks the same, and it has no beginning or end. Instead, matter is created continually and spontaneously throughout space. At the same time, scientists were exploring the idea that a singular explosive moment brought the universe into being, and the universe kept expanding from there. But Hoyle defended his cosmological theory to the end. On March 28, 1949, Hoyle gave a 20-minute radio lecture on the theory on BBC's third program. After explaining the theory, he contrasted it to theories that were based on, quote, the hypothesis that all the matter of the universe was created in one big bang at a particular time in the remote past. During the talk, Hoyle mentioned the big bang three times. People have read Hoyle's use of the term as derogatory, but he has said that it was not. He once said, I was constantly striving over the radio where I had no visual aids, nothing except the spoken word, for visual images. And that seemed to be one way of distinguishing between the steady state and the explosive Big Bang. And so that was the language I used. Hoyle wasn't convinced of the validity of cosmologies that predicted that a definite origin of the whole universe occurred a precise, finite time ago, as he put it in a 1960 lecture. Even though his use of the term wasn't expressly derisive, Hoyle made it clear that he thought the idea of a Big Bang creation process was irrational. After Hoyle's talk aired, the text was put in a BBC magazine called The Listener, and distribute it widely. In early 1950, a series of broadcasts featuring Hoyle aired on BBC, and books based on the talks were soon published in England and the United States. In the book, Hoyle again used the term Big Bang several times, twice in the English version, four times in the American one. Scientists were critical of Hoyle's theory, but they didn't pay much mind to his use of the phrase at this point. The term didn't immediately catch on. Though the Big Bang creation theory gained tons of traction beginning in the 1960s, Big Bang wasn't commonly seen in scientific publications until more than two decades after Hoyle first coined the phrase. Nuclear physicist William Fowler might have been the first to get the term into a research publication in 1957, but it wasn't until the 1970s when scientific papers began using the phrase regularly. After 1990, use of the term regarding the origin of the universe exploded, pun intended. Research on cosmic background radiation weakened support of the steady state theory, and now evidence points to the likelihood of the universe changing over time. 
Today, the Big Bang Theory is the most widely accepted explanation for the universe's beginnings. There are people who feel the term is inappropriate and too undignified to represent such a momentous occasion. But today, Big Bang is widely used by scientists and laypeople alike. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And here's another note about the usage of Big Bang in the beginning. The first scientific paper to use the term Big Bang in its title was received by the Journal of Meteorology a couple of months before Hoyle coined the phrase. The paper was about the meteorological effects of a large TNT explosion. Thank you for listening and see you again tomorrow. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Eves again, and welcome to another episode of This Day in History Class, a podcast that brings you a little bit of history every day. The day was March 28, 1979. A failure in a reactor at the Three Mile Island Nuclear Generating Station led to a partial meltdown. It was the worst nuclear disaster in U.S. history. Three Mile Island was a nuclear power plant in Londonderry Township, Pennsylvania. The plant had two pressurized water reactors. Unit 1 went into service in 1974, and Unit 2 began operation at the end of 1978. On March 28, 1979, the Unit 1 reactor was shut down from a refueling outage, while Unit 2 was operating at 97% power. A failure caused the feed water pumps to stop sending water to the steam generators that removed heat from the reactor core. This triggered the shutdown of the turbine generator. And because the steam generators weren't getting feed water, the temperature in the primary coolant rose. This caused the reactor to go into an emergency shutdown. Also, the pressure was rising in the primary loop. To control the pressure, the pilot-operated relief valve on the reactor cooling system opened, as it was supposed to. But it stayed open after it should have closed, and coolant water continued to escape from the relief valve. Because instruments in the control room indicated that the valve was closed, operators did not realize that coolant water was still being released. Due to the loss of coolant water, high-pressure injection pumps sent replacement water into the reactor system. As the water level rose in the pressurizer, operators decided to reduce the flow of replacement water because they thought the reactor system was too full of water. The reactor coolant pumps began to vibrate, so the operators shut them down. This stopped forced cooling of the reactor core. The core, in turn, overheated as reactor coolant water boiled away. The fuel rods were damaged, and they released radioactive material into the coolant water. Operators continued to attempt fixes based on their training, but hundreds of thousands of gallons of radioactive coolant water had been released. Radioactive gases were sent into the atmosphere from the ventilation stack of an auxiliary building. Initially, officials believed that there may be a big hydrogen explosion and that a meltdown was possible. The governor of Pennsylvania recommended pregnant women and young children evacuate the area within a five-mile radius of the plant. People panicked, and within days, tens of thousands of people had fled the area. 
schools and businesses closed. But officials said that the small amount of radiation that was released had no measurable adverse health effects on people who lived near the Three Mile Island facility. Still, the accident energized anti-nuclear sentiment and led to new regulations in the nuclear power industry. For instance, there were changes to standards for nuclear plant design, inspections were expanded, and emergency preparedness requirements were strengthened. Many people have claimed over the years that nuclear radiation contamination did have an effect on the physical health of local residents. Unit 2 was too damaged to continue operating. Cleanup officially ended in 1993. Unit 1 went back online in 1985, but it was shut down for good in 2019. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can send us a note on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And if you want to, you can send us a note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.